Just a reminder that Stats and Stories is running its data visualization contest to celebrate its 300th episode. You can grab data about the show to analyze and submit your entry at statsandstories.net slash contest. Your entry has to be there by June 30th. There's an idea in soccer that getting a red card and being down a player can actually make a team stronger, that going from 11 to 10 forces a team to fight harder to protect their end and to hustle more quickly to score goals. But does that idea actually hold up on the pitch? Does the team actually become harder to beat? That's the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me is regular panelist John Baylor, Emeritus Professor of Statistics at Miami University. Our guest today is Matt Dowsett. Dowsett is a senior expert in Lean Six Sigma with Reboyo, a global company specializing in automation and process improvement. In his free time, he is fond of the statistics side of process improvement and as a sports lover enjoys using stats to answer tricky problems or to explore well-known myths. He recently authored an article in Significance about whether red cards can actually make soccer teams tougher. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. It's nice to be here. What made you decide to do this project? So, I love stats and this should be pretty evident from the fact that this article is featured and I love my sports as well, not just football or soccer as you call it, but cricket. I'm a big fan of cricket and pretty much any sports and I love the fact that you can bring stats and sports together in such a valuable way. But let me just tell you a very quick story. I was on the phone to my brother, my older brother John who supports Leeds United. If some, some people may have heard of Leeds United. I'm actually a Liverpool supporter myself. And we were having a conversation. And in the, at, the, at the same time, Leeds United were actually playing. And he was very nervous because he, he wasn't sure if they would win. But I, I noticed on the score that the other team had had a player sent off. And I said, oh, it should, it should be great for you now. That you should win now because the other team's down to 10 players. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. It, it's always harder to play against 10, 10 men. And that, that always triggers for me. And I said, I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure about that. And being the kind of person I am, I had to just go away and have a look at it. And I found another study that had been done previously in significance. But I did think it's only used four seasons worth of data. And, and it even said within the article that it could do with some extra building upon it. And I thought, there's a challenge. And so uh, to answer my brother's question, but also to, to satisfy my own curiosity. Uh, and what we tend to see is quite often, especially related to sports, you're in a bar, you're down the pub, you're having a conversation with friends while the, while the match is going on and somebody will come out with something like that, an old myth, an old question, and it's very difficult to prove one way or the other. Some of those are the very best stories that you can have. But I quite I quite like to answer them. <laughs> so so I so the short answer well, the short version is I saw a challenge and I thought I need to go and collect some data and answer that question. So so basically it was proving your brother wrong. Is that, is that... <laughs> <That's great. laughs> No, I wouldn't quite put it that way. I, I would more, put it that I, way I, in my I own would, life. It would have motivated me, so <laughs>
<laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. No, because I get I get on very well with my brother. And um, it was more the curiosity of can we show this one way or the other, as well as proving my brother wrong. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, so so as a as someone who played, I, you know, I played football. I coached it. My kids played it. My, I, you know, so from the card perspective, I I, I have, you know, my my younger son's perspective was a, a game without a yellow card was not a game well played. <laughs> so his his was it was an intensity. And my but my older son, the striker, was more the one that would pick up the uh, yellow card for for mouthing off to a ref. Ah. Like yeah. one of, one of his my yeah. favorites was after he thought he had been fouled in the box and not gotten a card. He walked. He was running by the referee and said well that's three you've missed now and that led to an immediate yellow so so you know maybe it, just to start we could just say how do these things like yellows and red cards come about because we may have some people that are listening that may know that soccer is a game where people aren't supposed to use their hands save the two and the and the nets but but what does this whole card thing mean and how does it how does it play out so yeah cards are there to give a, a punishment to to players or to teams for infringements within the game that would otherwise be unfair or give them an unfair advantage. Yellow cards and red cards didn't used to exist in the game. Uh, and as a result, tactics were then employed which allowed teams to you know, manipulate the situation and get away with it, either by fouling other players repeatedly, knowing full well it would disrupt play and stop players and and so the yellow card and red card system was generated in order to have a method of penalizing teams for those infringements. And so the yellow card is a, effectively a warning. So it doesn't reduce a team to by a player, but the red card does. That that player is sent off and they cannot return during the game. And so there is clearly an advantage numerically to having to be playing against a team that has only 10 players or fewer, as occasionally does happen. Mm -hmm. I know it's always interesting when I'm watching matches, especially like the very high stakes ones where, you know, they'll talk about like, yes, that one's got two yellows and this one is like yeah. and the sort of the gamemanship of like swapping players out to make sure someone they need doesn't get a red and then can't play the next. That's right. Absolutely. It does happen, especially in tournament play where there is what they call a totting up system, where if you receive yellow cards in subsequent games, you will miss a game. And if that's a key player and you're reaching a knockout phase and you, you know, you, you've got a really crucial game coming up way to get to the final. Yeah, you may act strategically and take the player out to make sure that they, they don't get another yellow card and miss, miss the crucial game. So, yeah. So, so one thing that we could talk talk about. I mean, certainly we have the Women's World Cup coming up this summer. We had just had the World Cup played. The Euros or quali qualifiers are going on. Qualifiers for the World Cup are going. On, the next World Cup are going on as well. They are, yeah. So there's there's lots of lots of play going on. And, and in fact, there was just a, a, a recent EPL game where where I think Man U won when their opponent went down to nine players, after both a red for handling and a red for uh, touching a referee. So. That's right. There was Fulham and there were actually three red cards within a short space of time because their manager was also oh, sent off right. as well. So, yeah, that was, yeah. It hurting. So, so, you, so tell, us a, tell us a little bit about the data that you compiled to start to explore this question of, of the impact of a red card on, on outcome of game. Yes, and I think one of the first caveats is that, as you've just alluded to, sometimes there is more than one red card. And, and that can muddy the data. And so I first wanted to expand the data set, not because I didn't, I thought it would prove anything greater or lesser, but it gives a better level of precision. And I think that's what happens with more data. You, you don't necessarily 
prove or disprove something in a greater way, but you get a higher level of precision. So I wanted to move from four seasons of red cards to a, a higher number, and that I, so I selected 10 seasons. And then I cleansed the data by taking out instances where there was more than one red card or where both teams had a player sent off, because, of course, that, that's a completely different question. And that left me with, with over 400 um, red card scenarios that I could work with. So I, th I think the data that I got allowed me a certain level of precision, but without it becoming overbearing by being too much. It felt like it was a nice balance of data. So could you talk us through what you did as you were trying to figure out whether there is an advantage for a team with a down a player? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think as with all data and as with all statistics, I think you always have to ask yourself the question, what am I trying to answer here? Because the, the pub question or the bar question of is it better to be to be playing against 10 players? You then have to step back and say, well, what are the variables that are involved in this and how would I want to demonstrate that if I was answering the question and so I started to break it down to say well surely if you are showing some kind of advantage it will be in maybe in the final result so a team that has a player sent off would perform worse in terms of a final result and then would probably score fewer goals as well and I thought those were probably the two angles that you would go down the final result and the goal scored and then there were other levels that you could um, add to that other variables that you could explore because of course if you have a player sent off in the very last minute and you're winning 3-0 I think you've the, the score is very unlikely to change however if you have to play an hour with only 10 players that is clearly or it would seem to be a clear disadvantage and so the variables I wanted to start to pull those out so with the consideration of final result and goal scored I felt that there were a number of variables such as the point in time at which it happened within the game I thought was a really crucial one I thought that the existing state of the game as it was was an important one so was the team already winning or were they already 5-0 down in which case <laughs> they're going to struggle they were already struggling they're going to struggle even more and then there was the relative strengths of the teams because of course if we're talking about a team that's at the top of the league playing a team that's at the bottom of the league there's already an advantage there because by its very nature the, there's a better team against a worse team and the final one was about home advantage because I mean I, I support Liverpool who are notorious for having an amazing atmosphere where the home crowd is particularly loud, particularly rowdy, and, and it is considered to be the 12th, the 12th player for the team. And I've, I've experienced it. So was there some part of being home or away that would also feature? So by breaking down how I wanted to explore the question first, instead of just launching into throwing numbers around, it gave me a structure to work with, which would then help me answer the question in small clusters, which would then paint an overall picture of what I considered the final answer to be. You know, at, at this point, I'm sure the listeners are just on the edge of their seats. <laughs> you know, cause, so uh, can, can you talk, tell us a little bit about what did you see? Well, what, what kind of insights do you have when you, when you looked at, at some of these outcomes and some of these confounders or some of these modifying factors? 
Yeah, so instantly, let's talk about what happens at the end. All data, without without going into too, too complicated a hypothesis test, does a team that has got more players on the pitch get more goals and more points? And the short answer is yes, significantly so. So a team that's had a player sent off will score just over a quarter of a goal on average, whereas a team that has got the player advantage will score at least one goal. And in terms of points points achieved at the end of the game the team that is at a disadvantage will get less than one point keep it in mind that you either get zero one or three points in in football and the team that has the advantage will score on average two points and that is akin to being a relegation facing team playing a, a contender for the title that is the, on the on on straight look the disadvantage of having a player sent off makes you a relegation contender playing a playing a title contender and that is the headline view when you before going into any of the other nuances so even at a glance you can see there is a big disadvantage to having a player sent off you know i, I just there's a quick follow-up I, I really like the way that you you then extrapolated kind of what that difference meant for an entire season i thought that was a very effective way of communicating the this this kind of average discrepancy in terms of goals scored for and goals allowed and in terms of what it meant for the whole season so i, I just wanted to say that was i, I thought that was well done yeah, and I think that's uh, that's important to bring it to life as well, so, so people can understand what does that actually mean in reality, yes. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking to Matt Dowsett about stats and soccer. So this data set you looked at was for the English Premier League, correct? That's right, have yeah. you Now that you've done this work, have you had any thoughts about whether you want to expand it to World Cup or or Champions League and these, these other tournaments where, you know, stakes might cause teams to play differently or just teams that are, are you know with different approaches to how to play the game are meeting one another so in terms of red cards probably not i think there is a it is quite a focused problem statement but i think there is a wider question here about how to win the world cup i i think there's a there is a i think there's a book there actually and i would love to do i would love to do that one because when you consider what it takes to win the World Cup or any other major tournament for that matter, what, what does it take to win the Euros? There are steps along the way which will each have their own statistical nuances. So first you've got to qualify. So how what does it take to even qualify? And actually, do you get an advantage by being the host nation? Because many of the host nations have won the World Cup. In England's a great example. So then you have to get through your group stage what does it take you know if as with argentina in the world cup if you lose your first game as they did does that significantly reduce your chances of going on to win the tournament or does it have no bearing on it as it as with argentina they recovered from losing their first game and won the tournament and then you have to get to the knockouts and face potentially the penalty shootouts you know is there is there something in the statistics around penalty shootouts and then in the final itself, there will be, you know, as you were talking about, if you if you take the lead in the final, are you more are you more likely to go on and win the final, or actually do other teams come from behind to win? So, I, I think the the kind of how to win the World Cup or how to win a major tournament has a lot of lot of nuances, a lot of elements to it, 
and also the backstories which I always think because you can bring them to life by saying many teams have um, had a very poor start or scraped through a qualification but then had the momentum to go on and win the tournament so I think I think expanding it out to something a little bit more broad than red cards would be really interesting yeah I, I suspect you could probably do the the red card study in another league I mean the one yeah. thing that's different about about like some of these tournament plays is is you're looking at at the tales of distributions you're you're picking kind of the best of a bunch you know you're pick, picking the best of regions and world cup yeah you know when when you're looking at some of the 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 various tournaments around around europe it's the the winners of their the top finishers in their respective national leagues that are in competition so it probably changes that game a bit you you know one of the things that i, I thought was also interesting was looking at at kind of the stata the team state at the point of the red card when when uh, you know, so if, if you're ahead, how often did you did you win when you're playing short? You know, if you were if you were uh, if you were losing at the time, you know, it seems like that was just almost a you were you're dead meat. You know, it's <laughs> based on <laughs> you know if you're losing at the time when you go down down a player, yeah, you, you know, it's it certainly did not seem like it you fared well. So, but you know, what kind of you know as you looked at that was there doesn't seem like there's any su real surprises there, but I thought it was still interesting to see it quantified. I think probably the biggest surprise was that there were still instances where teams that were losing when they got a red card did still go on to either get a draw or even win the game. Um, the in theory the the strength of having a, a, an extra player would argue you would argue that there is absolutely no way you could win from having a player sent off and yet three of the teams did that and 11 of them managed to get a draw what was also interesting was that other some other teams were able to hold on if they were drawing there were actually nearly half of the teams managed to hold on for a draw even though they had a player disadvantage um, so so while on the whole, the statistics point to the disadvantage. There were still nuances and there were still instances where you would say, wow, it, actually a number of teams did still manage to to hang in there and get a result. So, so yeah, the, the data tell its own story, but there are always those little quirks in there. So I'm, I'm wondering, given what you've seen... Uh, and your experience being in the pub and hearing this myth, why is it that you think that this myth has has persisted? Is it just because we are so emotionally invested in the sports we care about that we see one instance of someone coming back to win, and maybe it's our our team, and we're like, yes, this must this must be the case that these teams are so tough when they're down a man. Like, what? Why is it that 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 we sort of hold on to this myth? Yes, I think it's a combination of seeing some small examples where a team has come from behind despite having a player disadvantage and, and has gone on to win. There is also a lot of truth in the fact that tactics do change. So man managers clearly make tactical decisions when a player has been sent off to try to shore up the defence and to try to hold on to what they've got. And so as a rule... And, and we see it actually in the progression of the game, it does get harder to play because the tactical decisions have, have forced that to happen. But what is often forgotten, because it's easy to forget, is they've still gone on and lost the game. <laughs> so so, so the, myth, the myth endures because we see how it plays out, but we often forget the end result. So actually, it is harder to play against teams with 10 players 
but you're still more likely to beat them. You know, when you were looking at kind of these surprising cases, like the, the teams that were losing when they went a, a player down or a team, you know, a, a team ultimately that was winning when they went a player down, losing the, the match. Did you did you kind of dive into those particular teams or those those per, those unusual outcomes? And did you say, oh, well, maybe that makes sense to me because I mean, was there, was there sort of other story that could be told to, to kind of say why? Why did the counterintuitive occur? Yes. Yeah, so. It's very much down to two things. And the first is that home advantage that we talked about before. So those those two other factors, the home being at home can actually have a can have a bearing on it. It's not an enormous bearing, but it is a bearing. But the other part is the quality of the team. So more often than not, a team that has come from behind to win despite having a player sent off has been higher up in the league. So what I did was I broke down the teams into four bins. Because there are 20 teams in the Premier League, I took the top five, who would be the title contenders, the next five, so teams 6 to 10, who would be the above average, then the below average teams, the 11 to 16, and then the bottom five, who would be the relegation contenders. And what I saw when I ran the statistics of how they fared against each other was that a top team despite having a player sent off, would always perform better against lower opposition. And so that is the other fact that I found, is the quality of the teams. So it's very rare for a top team. It is very rare for a bottom team who has had a player sent off to reverse uh, a scoring situation against a top team. Those instances where teams did very well were largely against inferior opposition. So being higher up the league is a clear advantage. So you mapped out earlier a book that you might write about <laughs> how to win a World Cup. What other stats, stats, ooh, ooh, sports stories um, <laughs> do you want to investigate? Uh, it, the two, the two goal myth. Like what? What else is on the agenda? This could be it for pop I, quiz night. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna preface that by explaining what I think are the two best sports or the two sports in the world that are most suited to statistics. And you can agree or disagree here. The first, and they're, and, and they're very similar, by the way. The first is cricket, English cricket, or cricket that is played largely by England and Commonwealth countries. And the second is baseball. And they're very, very similar. And the fact that they have a very stop-start nature where each particular ball that is bowled is in itself an activity that generates statistics lend the, lends both those sports to real statistics freaks like my, like myself and in the US as well you, when you look at a baseball scoreboard you are overwhelmed by statistics which you don't see on a football scoreboard which says Liverpool 7 Manchester United nil for example so <laughs> <laughs> You just just picked a random result, is that? (laughs) Which was the last the last Liverpool game I was at. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you. Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, So, but baseball and cricket lend themselves to statistics in a way that no other sports do. And so, one of the ones that I've known about, and actually I've written up for significance and have submitted it, is around another myth, which is the myth of the Nelson. And the myth of the Nelson is very interesting. So a Nelson score in cricket is one of 111, 111, or subsequent uh, multiples of 111, 222, 333. 
they are considered, according to the myth, to be unlucky in cricket and therefore that you are more likely to lose a wicket when a Nelson comes around. So if a team or an individual is on a score of 111, it's considered unlucky until that Nelson score has passed, until more runs have been scored. And so I've been running a study based on that uh, and found it is a myth, sadly, for, for, the, for the lovers. But that's been one of the ones that I've been looking at and, and quite an interesting one because it's actually a very compact problem that is very easy to, to disprove. But the real, the real cleverness of it is, or the real trick in there, is how to frame the question because the question isn't simple. Because obviously a, a score of 111 um, has to be reached later down the line you don't just start on a score of 111. And 111 runs for an individual is actually a good score. So why would it be unlucky? So framing the question in there was probably more important than the stats themselves. So that was, that's was that been quite an interesting one to do. Yeah, so just a, as, as an FYI, our very first Stats and Stories episode was a baseball statistics episode. So it, you know, the Sabermetrics Society of American Baseball Research metrics was was. Im embedded in, in part of that conversation. Uh, you know, the one thing that, that, that I, when I think about these myths, we had, you know, before we, we started the episode today, we were talking about the uh, two-goal lead as being the most dangerous lead. And the, the thing that's kind of interesting about that, whereas you, when you're talking about the Nelson, you're very much ex referring to a particular sport and a particular, uh, yeah. you know, situation in that sport. You know, the two-goal lead, you know, that's, that could be thought of in whether it's, it's hockey, you know, field hockey or ice hockey, or it could be in, in football. So there's, there are other sports where you might have seen this. So I, I'm, I'm just curious. So that's, that's one that I've, I'm, I would really be interested in seeing how that plays out. But you'd really have to tra track status of play in order to, to think about that as, a, as an analysis. Yes, and, and collecting the data, I think, would be quite challenging, but um, it's an interesting one to, to explore. One, one more before you. I, 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 there's one question. I mean, Rosa, are we, are you gonna, you were going to wrap us up. I was, you? I was, but she, ask ask she always wants ask to cut me off. I mean, you know, Matt, come on, <laughs> help me out here. Yeah, so, so I had a really, the, the most important question is what did your brother say? <laughs> um, <laughs> did he be, did he believe you? Did he say, uh, go away, pal"? You know. Yes, my, he believed me. Of course, um, he understands. He understands that I'm I'm a real fan of statistics, and um, I think he was probably more concerned with the final result of the the Leeds United game. Right. <laughs> um, but, so he yes, was convinced. It, you convinced him. All right. Yes, he was absolutely convinced. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Matt, thank you so much for joining us yeah, today. Thanks, you're very welcome. It's the, thank you for having me. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter at Stats and Stories, Apple Podcast, or other places where you find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on our program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.